You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We are in the midst of a conversation on spiritual gifts. And it might sound weird to you that we chose a topic like music, because many people think to themselves, I don't remember music being a spiritual gift. But Paul has two lists on spiritual gifts, and both are different, which means Paul was not exhaustive in his thinking. Rather, when he talks about spiritual gifts, he just kind of tosses some out. And there are some times probably where you've been in worship, and it goes deep, and you can really sense that the Spirit is leading. And there have been other times where you've been in worship, where things maybe felt really dry as though we were just kind of moving on and trying to get somewhere else. But for me, worship is crucial. It's essential. And it's grounding everything that we do because the Bible says that God is enthroned on our praises. And if you've been in this room long enough today, you've seen our our mission statement right across the back wall in Jackson as it is in heaven. Heaven is not in every piece of Jackson. I have people who have come to this area, uh, pastors I know and love, who are like, oh yeah, every time I drive into Jackson, it's like I immediately have to throw up. Thank you. You know, like that's my city, you know. But they sense something different here. I remember we had these two college students come to church here once and they, they mentioned something similar. Like, do you realize like the heaviness of the spiritual atmosphere around here? No, because I live two blocks from here. That atmosphere is my life. And I don't catch on to it anymore because I'm numb to it. Things change rapidly in Jackson. Uh, We surveyed our neighborhood because we wanted to serve it in a new way once. We went that way, middle class. They said it could be quieter. We went that way, poorer. And they said there could be less gunshots and drugs. (laughs) Literally crossing across Greenwood. We went that way, homeless shelter. We went this way, mansions. Smack dab in between all different kinds of communities. Sometimes you just cross a block and you realize like something has shifted very quickly. But the Bible says that God is enthroned on our praises. And so my hope is that as Christians, we're walking out, bringing light into all the different kinds of darkness and installing heaven everywhere we go. I mean, that's the mission statement of the whole Bible. Start in Eden, be fruitful, multiply, till eventually you've turned all the not garden areas into extensions of Eden. And that's where the Bible ends, too. And so that's what we do here in Jackson. But one of the ways in which we do it is we recognize that God is enthroned on our praises. In fact, some of the spiritual words and dreams and visions that people have had have revolved around this room up here. What we call our spare um. This is a Narnia reference, not bad writing. Uh, but that room, we thought to ourselves, no, another world is possible. Heaven can break through. And so we just started gathering there week after week and worshiping. And it started dry. There was like three of us every week, two, of us, two to three people. And then over time, more started trickling. And the words, God would just speak up and... Uh, speak through everybody and whenever we'd finish worship after an hour or longer just 
People would have all these different things that the Spirit was doing in their heart. We'd all speak it into each other. This is a beautiful time. And, and then God started giving us vision, giving people vision. Someone was reading Narnia once. And when they read the word spare room, they had this instant picture in their head of our room just filled with dirt up to here. And that our tears were watering it. And that the richness of that place was beginning to grow new life. Someone else had a dream that there was someone kind of mediating between that space where all that worship happens and the rest of the sanctuary, as though they were trying to usher in the presence of those meetings into the rest of the space. That room is just a space that we get together and worship. What, what's the difference there? Where, why is there so much fruit? Well, God is enthroned there. And we don't talk much about sacred space because we rather rest into the God is omnipresent. Because he is. He's everywhere, right? When you read the Bible, he's especially present in some spaces. Garden of Eden, especially present. So much so he's walking around the cool of the day. With Abraham, it was always by trees. And Abraham tried to be close to God's presence. He lived by the Oaks of Moreh, Oaks of the Teacher. And God would just walk up to him there sometimes, like he does on the way to Solomon and Gomorrah. When Abraham moved from that place, the first thing he did when he got to his next place was planted a tree. <laughs> As though it was like, oh, got to make sure God's presence is around here somewhere. And you keep moving forward and you see God's presence show up and manifest tangible sacred places along the way. He gives uh, the garden, uh, Garden of Eden becomes a tabernacle, a mobile tent, the first mobile church that moves along wherever God wants to go. And they would set it up. And if you read the way that the Bible explains that space, they would set it up in such a way that it echoed the Garden of Eden. And after they built it, God's glory presence came and filled that room. A cloud, glory cloud. It's a phenomenon that still happens in some churches today. Maybe you've heard of it or seen some of the videos. But God's presence came and filled that room. And then you fast forward a little bit more and you get to this wonderful worship celebration. They're not going to have a tent that moves around anymore. David really hoped that one day God would have like a a really concrete, beautiful temple. And so his son, Solomon, builds the temple. And they have the world's biggest worship service as like the initiation night to kind of cut the red tape and open it up. The priests go in and there's all the priests grabbing their instruments. And it's like this giant wall sound band. Back in the Motown days, there used to be a genre called wall sound where it'd be like 20 guitarists playing the same thing, 20 drummers playing the same thing. And it created a natural reverb. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember these old tracks? It got too expensive, so they don't do it much anymore. But uh, paying like a 500-person orchestra is just a little much. But they have this wall sound event in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then they, they make all these sacrifices and they play all this music. And as they do, that same glory cloud fills up the room as they worship. God enters the sacred space. And once he's there, it says the priest couldn't even stand to minister. There's nothing in the Bible about people falling over under the Holy Spirit. Nothing at all. The priest couldn't stand to minister. Of course they couldn't. It's a glory cloud. Glory, kabod. That means weighty. It means presence. It means 
glory. You can feel it. It has substance to it. And there they are under the glory on the floor or whatever they're doing as they're trying to minister. And their worship is the beautiful sound that ushers God's presence in because God is enthroned on our praises. And the Bible knows something about worship that we don't do a lot today. I remember when I was a kid, like, I remember the first time I saw someone put their hands up and I was like, what are these nuts doing? Like, what, what is this? It was at a camp because I grew up in this little white traditional church that didn't know you could be expressive at all. And uh, um, I went to camp and everybody's like doing this. Like, I don't know what that is, but I think I want to do it. Weird people. Oh, maybe I'm the weird person. I'm the only one in here not doing that. Maybe I, what's wrong with it? How do I enter into this? Everyone's going to be staring at me. If we, or maybe everyone's staring at me because I'm not doing it. I don't <laughs> Eventually, the pastor was like, everybody turn around and kneel at your chairs. Like, I don't want, oh, that's scary. Except everyone's doing it. It's scarier if I don't. This is my chance. I can enter in. And after that, I was like raising my hands. Like, oh, you're just, yeah, Jesus. You know, that's what Whatever's happening. And from that day on, I, I, I had this like emotional experience in worship, which I realized that worship could be emotional. And you know what? That's okay. Some people like to condemn that. But have you read the Psalms? The Psalms are deeply emotional. They're deeply emotional. 40% of them are laments. Almost half of the psalms are emo songs. (laughs) Stars will cry. The blackest tears tonight. King David, say (laughs) on. Caitlin, thank you for that delayed laughter. (laughs) She always gets called out in my message somewhere. Oh. 40% of the psalms are depression and trying to figure out how to deal with it. All of the psalms are very emotive. I know we really like to um, bash Christian music for being personal, but most of the psalms are personal. God, where are you? I need you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, which I am standing in, there you are. The Psalms are relational, they're emotional, they're deep, they're intimate. And a lot of times we think like, well, I can't take these kind of emotions to God. That's not holy. Look, God wrote you a bunch of songs, inspired a bunch of songs, 150 of them, so that you could express every kind of emotion that you feel. Yeah. I mean, it's a little intense to bash the baby's heads against the rocks. We all know that song. Maybe pushed it a little too far, but David, David goes the whole distance of his emotions to... The deepest depths of himself. And God meets him in those places. David gets dark. There's one psalm. Man, you better keep reading after that one. Because if you end on that psalm, you're not coming back. (laughs) It's just, it's like the darkest psalm of all psalms. And when it's over, it's just kind of sad. It's just like, here I am, miserable. Death surrounds me and all my enemies. The end. (laughs) Praise Jesus. (laughs) But you know who felt like that? A Jesus. In fact, on the cross, what did Jesus do? Quoted a song. A psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And the rest of the psalm, if in an ancient culture where you memorized everything, it would have heard the rest. My bones are broken. Where are you, God? Do you know that God has divinely inspired songs for you to express where are you, God? Because <laughs> he knows you're going to deal with it. And he's poetic in the way that he wants to deal with it. God's always poetic. You ever read the prophets? Why can't he just say things without the indents everywhere, you know? Why is it always poetry when he speaks? It's because in the ancient culture, they thought if someone was truly expressing what a spiritual being sounded like, there would be some elegance and pose to it. Prose to it. Pose to it. <laughs> Casey, can you hit that button before it beeps for an hour? Thanks. It's not a fire alarm, everyone. It's the opposite. It's our freezer. Yeah. <laughs> So if there is a fire, we'll be fine. We'll just open that. <laughs> but the Bible shows something that I forgot about. What was I talking about? Psalms. Psalms. Thank you. But I was talking, what? Pose? Posing, prosing. <laughs> God speaks elegantly. He can't even speak without sounding poetic. As though he's singing over you. Singing has a very intimate feeling. A God who writes love songs. When you look throughout the Bible, you see that the prophets don't treat music as though it's just music. David's one of them, right? He might be a king, but he's also, you know, people always look at him as like, oh, he's a murderous war victor. It's like, yeah, the dude also just sat around and wrote a lot of poems, you know, kind of different sides of David. But David constantly writes about waiting upon the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. You know what happens when you wait upon the Lord? He shows up. And then you write some real songs. Not like our top 100 CCLI stuff. I'm talking about like real music that searches the depths of God's heart. So much so that David accidentally, I don't even know if he knows he's doing it half the time, accidentally writes about Jesus, one of his descendants, who he doesn't even know who that guy is. <laughs> but suddenly David goes from writing just about his emotions to writing about some mysterious figure who is to come, who is the Messiah, who will heal everything. And then Jesus comes and fulfills many of those words in ways that we could have never imagined. David leans into worship music, sees the future and prophesies about it. And that's powerful worship. Elisha, the prophet, you know that guy who sicked she bears on some boys for calling him bald, that guy? No, you don't know that story? We don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Elisha has some kings come up to him and say, we're going to war with Moab, and uh, we need you to prophesy. Are we going to win or what? So, you know, probably a better way to go to war, I guess, check in ahead of time. Um, but he shows up, and Elisha's like, well, I guess I need to prophesy over you if you want an answer. Anybody know what he says? Fetch me a musician. What? <laughs> we just need you to tell us, are we going to win or not? Okay, I will tell you when I have a musician. 
And I don't think it's just like Elisha's very like, no, I really need some music today. You fetch me one musician, I will give you one prophetic word. <laughs> no, it's just Elisha knows something that the prophets know. When music is played, that praises God, I'm guessing in this case, God shows up. God is enthroned upon our praises. And so a musician shows up and begins to play music. And suddenly the, the hand of the Lord is on Elisha and he prophesies. A prophet knew he needed music to hear God's voice. By the way, this is like the double anointed prophet guy. So if he thinks that music is important to hearing God's voice, maybe we should take note. The Bible talks about schools of prophets, that uh, they had these different meeting places where they would come together and accidentally poison their soups and need to heal it so they could drink it. You don't know that story? We don't have time. But like these are examples of the prophets that would come together. And if you're working with other prophets, they're probably talking to each other, teaching each other. I heard God's voice earlier. Here's the way in which I heard it. Have you heard God's voice like that? No, I usually hear it this way. And probably learning from one another. Elisha had a mentor who had a very different name, Elijah. (laughs) He learned from another prophet. Prophets teaching prophets. Paul even saw that in the New Testament. Make sure that you all prophesy one by one so that you can kind of learn what's going on here. Prophets teaching prophets. The prophets knew that music was important. When Saul runs into the prophets the first time, anybody know what they're doing? They're walking down having worshipped with tambourine and lyre and flute in hand. Contemporary worship music. They walk down with the spiritual warfare weapons of the prophetic world. They have instruments. And then Saul's life is changed from these kinds of moments with the prophets. Not forever, but at least for a moment. David continued to see the importance of music. He didn't just use it to prophesy. He used it to fight demons. When King Saul did go rogue and ended up with some demons, they went to like the staff around the, the, the temple. I was just like, well, what are we, we going to do? How are we going to take around the palace? Sorry. They, they go and get... Uh, like, what, what are we going to do to help Saul come out of these mad fits and rages that we have? For us, we're thinking, uh, mental hospital, let's send him there, get him meted up on some new stuff. Yet for them, it was different. They just said, well, clearly we need a musician. What? <laughs> this person gets really angry fits of rage. Let's get him a musician. That'll calm him down. Also, we know that is demons causing it, so get a musician. What? I've seen that at work. I remember um, one of the first deliverances I was doing. Uh, the demon just kind of manifested, wasn't expecting it, and just started mocking me so much. It was so annoying. It didn't end. <laughs> and finally, I was like, all right, okay, how do I shut this thing up? So, okay, we're just going to ignore all this taunting because it's no matter what I say back, I just get taunted again. So I went over to the soundboard, I plugged in a phone, turned on a song, and it's like, oh, you did, oh, 
And it like got up and grabbed the phone, is holding it like it's gonna shatter my phone. I'm like, how do I explain this to my wife later? No, honey, a demon shattered it. You know, like, <laughs> and we get my phone back, and we start. Uh, I go back to plug it in again. They go and they just take it again. I was like, well, this isn't going to work unless somebody's going to control this person. Clearly, it doesn't want to hear music. So then I go and I decide to um, just grab my guitar. I was like, okay, we'll go this route. There is power! And then the thing falls on the floor against the back wall, drive heaving, like, with so much pain. So much pain. Because of worship music. Do you worship like demons are throwing up? (laughs) There's power, Jesus, Jesus, what does it say? Do you worship as though demons are trembling? Because they are. They do not care for it. I remember I was playing a worship song on my phone once while I was casting out a demon. And a song came on, and the demon stupidly said, Oh, I hate this song. <laughs> and I was like, Do you now? Volume 100. <laughs> and just held it up. It's like, <gasps> So I play that song a lot now. <laughs> Demons apparently know our worship songs. I wonder which ones they don't care about. Probably the ones that have been written to just make money. There's a lot of those. And then there's the ones that actually have some spirit to them. David wrote a bunch of Psalms. We have 150 of them, but some of the um, Dead Sea Scrolls that we've unearthed said that he wrote like 3,600 Psalms, which is a lot. Uh, Charles Wesley in the Methodist Church was probably a close second. He wrote, I think, several thousand. Kayla read one earlier. But keeping up with David, 3,600, that's, that's a lot. At what point have you used the whole dictionary, you know? Especially in Hebrew, there's not as many words. Uh, but um, of those 3,600, four of them, the Dead Sea Scrolls say, were written to cast out demons. Or for making music over the possessed is the way that it phrases it. We have one in our Psalms called Psalm 91. That references several demons. We just don't see it because we are modern people who don't hear these titles. You will not fear the terror of the night as a demon in the ancient world, nor the arrow that flies by day. That arrow, Rafesh, is connected to a demon, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. This is a psalm that the Jews would always uh, read over their families at night. It's like the daily bedtime ritual. Protect them in the night. David wrote music for spiritual warfare. Do we treat music like that? Do we recognize that we are shifting atmospheres when God is enthroned on our praises? That that room actually makes a difference and that the music played in it shares a point. When you look at David's ministry uh, with the priests, he had a whole lot of priests. I think like, what, 3,600, something like that. I don't remember. He had a lot of priests. 
And he took 4,000 of them and appointed them to one thing, making music in the tabernacle. And I think the reason that he cared so much about that is because he knew it was on the other side of the tabernacle. This was sacred space. Think of Stranger Things, right? In Stranger Things, if you've seen the show, I might be standing on stage right now. We flip to the world under, upside down, and you're all red for some reason. Uh, but, the, you know, it's like a scary version of 1208. In many senses, the Bible kind of pictures heaven in that way sometimes. That it is running kind of parallel when you have sacred space. So God's throne room is in heaven, but he built the temple to like be a, what Hebrews calls a shadow of it. So the two merge into one unit. You have the earthly temple and God's heavenly temple that become one space. This is why I was so scary in the Bible to go into the Holy of Holies, that sacred room, because God was actually there, <laughs> sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant, not inside, the say Indiana Jones. And those two cherubim in the uh, spiritual realm that were protecting God's throne are the two cherubim on top of the ark. These things are like lining up between each other. If we could see through the veil, it would be the same place in heaven. I think David knew something about this place. That in God's heavenly temple, on the other side of that veil, there's worship. The angels are singing. So David knew, like, if this is a shadow of that, if this is an echo of the real thing, if, like, heaven is perfectly fit over top of this, then we need music too, because we should be echoing everything on the other side. And guess what happens when we get to Revelation and we catch a glimpse of the other side? They're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Until you get to the end of Revelation, then they change the song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is. Because he's already come. And there are many songs all throughout Revelation where we catch glimpses of God's courtroom and people are worshiping in the spiritual realm. There are glimpses of human beings writing new worship songs. Songs that suddenly they all know that they didn't seem to know before. And a glorious sound in all their tongues and languages rising up. Imagine that. Imagine on the other side, God hands every musician like a, what, what are you going to do? Screamo? Great. Motown over here, Screamo over here. Same song. One, two, three. <laughs> every genre rising up in worship at the same moment. I don't know. In every language, every tribe, every tongue, every sound, every genre. All pouring out before God's throne. That's a crazy image. If they're singing on the other side, then we should be singing on this side. We join with the angels. Paul saw music as a natural result of being filled with the Spirit. There's a passage where he says, be filled with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm expecting him to go on and be like, and cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead. But Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. What? Be filled with the Spirit and sing. 
Be filled with the Spirit and sing. You catch glimpses of that throughout the Bible. Miriam in the Old Testament, Deborah, Mary in the New Testament. It always sounds foreign to us. Hey, Mary, how you doing today? Oh, the Lord has blessed me. What is this, Broadway? That is not that weird. Ask my daughter. Jericho is always singing everything she does. Cleaning the dishes. My little pony. We all do it. You do it. Don't you do it? In the end, we are all Linda from Bob's Burgers. There's no way around it. You don't have, haven't seen it? We don't have time. All right. The Bible is full of songs. A lot of it is, is songs. And we can recognize that if we just pay attention. And for me, uh, worship music, while it is aimed at enthroning God upon his praises and worshiping him and recognizing that he is the center focus of my life, worship music is something else for me too. And it's something that I'm always aiming for when I'm leading worship. And it's something that's come up a lot in the worship songs we've already sang today. Intimacy. Intimacy. And I think the most strangest, most beautiful song that you might find in the whole Bible is a song of songs. What is that thing? Was there no Bible writer who was like, should we have to keep this in here? (laughs) This is clearly erotic. (laughs) Yes, but it's wholly erotic. What? <laughs> this made it past all the scribes? <laughs> well, yeah, they're really into it for some reason. <laughs> okay. Okay. You see, here's the thing with the Song of Songs. While it is clearly erotic literature <laughs> and has some other overtones too, like in, in the times of Jesus, they were thought to be messianic. People saw a glimpse of the Messiah in the Song of Songs. Kind of weird. You especially see it in the Catholic saints. Oh, the Catholic saints. Their drive for the intimacy of God fuels my Christianity. It's all they know and it's all they want. It seems to be all they get. To a point where Song of Songs almost seems mirrored in the intimacy they find. Maybe you've seen the strange statue of Teresa of Avila, who seems to be moaning in a way that seems inappropriate, but over the fact that an angel is piercing her through her heart with a spear. That in this moment, a fire of God is put into her heart and a deep intimacy that almost echoes something Song of Songsy is found. But of course, people like Teresa of Avila were single. And who to mirror better a husband like Jesus than a single person has given up that part of their life to just be married to Jesus? And it's through people like Teresa of Avila where we catch that intimacy and we recognize something in their stories. But sometimes these single people who are really connected to Jesus, 
know a whole lot more about marriage than the rest of us who are married. Because marriage is an echo of our relationship with God. It's a signpost pointing us forward. Because one day in the resurrection, there is no marriage. Why? Because the real thing has finally come. Our true spouse, Jesus, has arrived for his bridegroom. And the intimacy that marriage was always foreshadowing is finally here. And it's full. And it's right. I know this messes with people's head because your mind's like, well, hold on, what are you trying to say? I'm not being weird or perverted about this. I'm just trying to show like the kinds of things, the kind of intimacy that, that marriage has always been about is just a signpost towards the real thing. Because if it goes away in the end, then the real thing must finally be there. I think you see not only in the Catholic saints that drive for intimacy with God, but you see it in people like Paul. Paul was single for the sake of just following Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of Paul's language, as brash as he can be sometimes, gets rather poetic and romantic. There's a whole book about the eros side, the erotic side of Paul's writing about God in the church. Uh, I think it's mostly focused on Philippians, maybe Ephesians. Um, But this scholar just dives into this whole thing where he's talking about how Paul's language is just like he's melting away in in Jesus' presence. It's poetic, romantic. And that kind of thing erupts into song. Be filled with the Spirit and sing. Be filled with the Spirit and sing. God wants to give you that intimacy tonight. God wants to take reign over Jackson. God wants to fill this building. One of the words that was given while we were in spare um was uh, someone had the word trumpets come to their mind. And then a passage out of Second Chronicles. And they opened to that passage that came to their mind and it said, the trumpeters will play. The priests. You have these priests blowing their trumpets. And this is the passage where the Spirit comes and fills the building. And they had in their mind that this was a word for reveal. I'll lean into that. You want God's presence in your life? Man, we've been praying for that kind of breakthrough for 11 and a half years. That's not that unusual. Bethel, the place where you're often used to hearing about crazy things happening. Bill Johnson pastored there for 10 years before they saw anything. Vineyard, the entire denomination, the guy who started that prayed for people to be healed every single week for I don't know how long. And then one day it happened. And after that, it happened all the time. This is what we call being tested. Do you want the greater gifts? Can you be faithful with the smaller ones? Do you want the greater gifts? 
can you just be faithful? The word that we got back in May was there are cherry blossoms for 1208, which is a sign of renewal. So repent and be filled with gifts. There is renewal for you tonight, so repent and be filled with gifts. Move that old stuff out, be filled with the new stuff. New wineskins. Break off all those chains. Be filled with freedom. Repent of your sin. Have it washed out of you and be filled with the Spirit and sing. So that's where our night is headed. We believe that we've been repenting for some time. If you haven't done it yet, do it now. Because I have a sense that tonight is the be filled with gifts part. And that the repentance has led us up to this point. So we're going to do what we do. We worship and God is enthroned. And when God shows up, things happen. And it's very hard to do church without that element. You ever tried doing ministry without God? Oh. <laughs> Nothing will burn you out quicker. We worship. God shows up. We're delivered. We're freed. We're healed. And filled. And sing. And new gifts. That is the trajectory as to where the rest of the night goes. So let me say this. It is currently 8 o'clock-ish. And I know how conferences go because I've been to a lot of them. This is about the time where, okay, message is over. We'll stay for a few minutes to be polite, and then we'll take off. (laughs) You can do that, but you're going to miss out. If you stay and worship, look, I already got your money. I'm not making anything off of this. I'm just encouraging you. Stay and worship. This is for you. This time is for you. Don't miss out. Money thing was a joke, by the way. We used it for food and speakers. We didn't profit off you, or much. (laughs) I'm gonna give you a few quick 33 words. (laughs) As a prayer team is felt over you. And then I'm gonna lead you in some deliverance. This has already been done once today. We're gonna do it a little uh, inner healing kind of way this time. And then we're just going to worship. We literally have no songs planned out. There will not be on the screen any lyrics. Unless somebody has it in their heart to type them while we're singing it. But you have phones. And whatever words you hear me say, write them down and the lyrics will magically appear on this Google thing. Um, But once we get into the worship time, we're just going to go. And we're going to go until we're done. And at that point... You can take off whenever you feel like you've been released. But don't leave sooner. I don't know how long we'll be here. I don't really care because I love to worship. Sometimes I go to other people's churches because I just like church. I encourage you to like church tonight. The Bible believed that when, well, sorry, the ancient culture believed that when we worshiped, angels were present. 
And you see that show up in Paul's writing too, that he's sensitive that when we come in to sing together, we're in sacred space. And when we're in sacred space, the angels are there singing with us. Let this be the echo today of what's on the other side. Let me give you these words. And let me... um, Let me give you a heads up on these words. Our prayer team hears things in many different ways. Some of these are going to feel story-like or just symbolic or metaphorical. Some of these are going to be very direct. Some are specific. Some are going to feel maybe even generic. Like, I mean, if I put up on the screen, someone's dealing with depression, at least half of you, or sorry, 40% would answer that, right? So take these words. If you feel like they hit you, Take it. Some of these words are going to be for multiple people. So if you're like, oh, that person already took it. It's not for me. No, it's for both of you. God's smarter than giving us just a word that works for one person. And some of these words are just going to be straight up weird. And we didn't know what to do with it. But we wrote it down anyways in attempts to be faithful. So when you laugh at our words, first off, shut up. (laughs) We're just trying to be faithful. Secondly... Shut up. (laughs) As we kept looking at the numbers, like it warms our heart that we filled out this room. Because as of like last night, we had like 27 signed up. And so we were just kind of, um, it, it sucked because we wanted more people to experience this time together and grow. But we felt like God was testifying to our hearts. Like I'm sending you the people who need to be here. That fits very well with the parables. I don't know if you ever noticed why Jesus tells parables, but he tells them so only the people who are supposed to figure out what he's saying will hear them. He says that some people have the secret to the kingdom of heaven. I would guess that's the Holy Spirit. That as he's speaking out the parables, some can interpret it, and others are just like, I just wanted the free food, man. So if you're here today, one of the senses on our heart is this event is for you. You are someone who made the cut that you're already hungry for this and it's being offered to you so lean into that next word you can't pour gasoline on a fire and say you tried to put it out and the implication we felt behind this uh, was uh, someone is using means other than the Holy Spirit to resolve sin none of these words are for me by the way this is just how faithful our prayer team has been Uh, next one some lyrics that came to someone's head as I lay in my bed staying up all night questioning if what I did was wrong or right there's one thing I failed to see Jesus smiling down at me implication of Jesus wanting to bring comfort to past mistakes if you're dealing with physical heart problems we want to pray for that today If religion is restraining you from being transparent with hurts, habits, and hang-ups instead of offering openness with others. Someone who prays for judgment instead of love on neighbors and enemies. Someone who ended a friendship because they chose to speak and not listen. The sky fell before me. and what, sorry, we got a typo there. Sky fell, oh, the sky fell, and before me was not darkness, but void. An implication being that someone who is in a rough state of life and has not given into sin, but feels empty of the Spirit. 
panic attacks, possibly fear of having them in public spaces, someone feeling like a snake is constricting them, someone, uh, God, God doesn't care about religion, cares about his relationship with you. A male who feels he is not seeing what he thought he would at this stage in his life, doing all the right things, what he desires and longs for, can't come because he won't let go of the past. He has guilt over a failed relationship, and that guilt is keeping him from the fullness God has for him. He's wandered in this space for so long now, even hearing this may take time to resonate, but even hearing this may take time to resonate that he is the one God is speaking about. An image of a white male, small in stature, with khakis and a brown shirt, quick moving and crouching, uh, as if trying to exist in the shadows or go unseen. <coughs> Came in through a second story window during the dark of night. Does not answer when spoken to. His motivation is unclear, but doesn't seem positive. Someone who has bought the lie that humility means having no self-confidence. Purple, beagle, abominable plane. Uh, uh, <laughs> ab abdominable. <laughs> abominable plane. <laughs> this is one of those words uh, followed, that's followed by the shut up. All right. Uh, next one. You've been on the outskirts for so long, but you're so devoted and true. What's holding you back? Silhouette being presented before a crowd to see if they're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This one is for me. I had a dream the other day that uh, this entire room for reveal was filled up with pastors across our conference in the Free Methodist Church. The superintendent was getting up to speak about themes of the Spirit. This one, you could just lean into praying with me. Uh, I sense from this dream that reveal is supposed to be like a trickle-down effect across our conference, that other pastors are going to hear about what happens tonight, open themselves up to the Spirit, and become a little less free Methodist than normal nature. <laughs> uh, prayers for depression. Not necessarily depressed because it's just sad, but because the desire to strive to do better can cause us to feel like we're not measuring up to what God is calling us to. Rather than taking in the joy of the victory in the present, we start to focus on all the ways we could do better instead. Uh, local churches don't need to focus on the losses, but to take joy in the battles and victories we've had over the last couple of years with being faithful in the desert. Themes of John 17, you can look that up yourself, but it's all around unity, I believe. Uh, incorporate unity within the body of Christ. Uh, someone felt like they saw in their mind two demonic giants walking toward Jackson, taller than the trees. And as they were walking, everything around them was shaking. Uh, but they sensed that the Lord was saying they have no authority or welcome here. They're just trying to create fear and trembling. Pray over those things tonight. Someone who feels like they're constantly misunderstood and or rejected. They have an unrefined gift from the Spirit that is hard for people to understand. I think Jesus wants to refine that gift in them. Someone who doubts a lot and has embraced their doubt as a healthy or normal thing because people have told them God can handle it. This has allowed them to have an apathetic response to their doubt. God wants to dispel their doubt completely. 
someone who feels like they have to throw up. We'll also pray for any other general illnesses that they have. A vivid dream of demons screaming as they left people uh, here at Reveal tonight. Tarantulas falling out of the mouth. Someone's wrist. A woman who was wandering around a pitch black street and the houses were all the same, kind of full house style. And she kept walking up to the doors and knocking and no one would answer. She just kept hugging herself as well. It was pitch black, but I could see uh, myself holding a compass and I kept spinning it trying to find my way. I felt so lost, I felt like I kept spinning like the compass. In the void, I sat questioning my purpose. There the stranger met with me, there he talked to me, there he ate with me, there he closed me, there he laughed with me, there he loved me. A dot in the left side of the stomach under the ribcage. Repent and receive gifts. Now we're going to do repentance in a little bit more of a surreal way right now. I am going to teach you the meditative techniques that I believe the prophets used in the Bible, as some scholars have gone this direction. And it's also a technique that uh, saints all throughout the last 2,000 years have met to meet with God. And it's also the technique that I use when I'm doing deliverance ministry. I have people recognize a specific passage that kind of changed my life when it came to meeting with the Holy Spirit. Paul describes the Holy Spirit kind of like this. He says, you have your spirit inside of yourself that searches the depths of your heart. You also have the Holy Spirit inside of you who searches the depths of God's heart. The Bible has a certain kind of vision called a night vision. Anybody want to take a stab as to what that is? It's a dream. A night vision is a dream. Therefore, what's a day vision? Daydream. And that's what we're going to kind of do right now. We're going to daydream with God. This is the way that I hear my thoughts. I recognize everyone in here may not be a daydreamer. But when I search the depths of my own spirit, I daydream. And so I started using daydreaming as a visionary technique to meet with God's spirit as well. And I recognize that when you are daydreaming, you have the total capacity to take over the whole landscape. Okay? I recognize that. That's why discernment is important in what we're doing. But when I do deliverance ministry, I usually find different kinds of spirits show up here. I find my own spirit. I find God's spirit. And occasionally, evil spirits show up too. And I know they show up because if I ask them their name and they give it to me, I can Google that name and it might be in a weird language, but it perfectly represents what they are without me even knowing that word. Uh, likewise, Jesus one time um, really showed me how concrete this moment is because he showed up in a trance in someone that I was working on. And in that moment, Jesus said, you can't daydream with me anymore. Because the, the session that you're going to move into next just needs to be handled in a different way. And I realized when God said that, he was saying, I'm legit in there. <laughs> That's how we've done the healing so far. But this time you need to do it another route. 
So I'm going to teach you the route that I've learned to kind of meet with God's spirit. And if it works for you, great. If you're really just not a daydreamer, maybe it'll be harder for you. But I'm going to take you through building this, and I'm going to lead you through some deliverance techniques while we're in that space. This is another sense that I've just had for Reveal, is that I'm supposed to give you the space for corporate deliverance, all of us together. And when you just kick out demons without dealing with the reasons that they're there, they just come back in. Because the door is wide open. But when you take care of the stuff that opened it for them in the first place, the door gets shut. So everybody, uh, this is going to take a little bit, um, but close your eyes. And here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to choose one thing that you want to be kind of a focal point within this daydream. Because you're going to come back here. And when you're really tired, it's hard to go back to a daydream space. And it helps to have one thing that you always come back to because you can just start right there. So choose one thing. For me, it's like a giant beanstalk that grows its way up. And as it grows, the rest of it comes to life. What's yours? Find it. moderate speed. Whatever that thing is, I want you to build it up and down. So you're opening the daydream, closing out the daydream. Opening it up, closing it up. Because this is your starting point every time you need to come back here. Open, close, open, close. So for like the beanstalk, I watch it grow up into the sky. And then I would watch it grow down. time grow it or create it or whatever it is all the way up and then let the rest of the uh, surrounding come into view maybe it's a garden maybe it's a hill maybe it's a sunset maybe it's a beach whatever it is you are creating sacred space in your mind love the lord your god with all your heart your soul and your mind right now since the holy spirit is inside of you and the New Testament says that you are the temple of God. Build that sacred space. Make your holy of holies. This is a place where you're going to meet with God. Just build the rest of it. And let God feed into that too. Holy Spirit, this is your sacred space. Would you feed the image that's coming into play right now?
going to bring in the Trinity one by one. First off, bring in Jesus. Let him look like whatever he looks like. there, ask him to speak something over you. What is it he wants to say to you? For your discernment process, recognize that it should match scripture. It should match the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It might be convicting, maybe, if he wants to go that route, but it won't be condemning what does he want to say? Just one thing, one concrete thing for you. Be 
ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus. When you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. So in case you have a father who has not been kind to you and you think this father is going to be the same, make sure he looks like the cruciform love of Jesus. In case you're hooked on a violent impression of an Old Testament God, make sure you recognize that he should be matching Jesus, the fullest revelation of who the father is. seem to have a little bit of a different vibe to them that helps you see God in one of his three lights. Sometimes you can ask all three of them the same question and you will find the answer has a slightly different vibe, but it's the same kind of thing. Sometimes the father only wants to answer a question and the son wants you to look to him. Sometimes the spirit wants to show you something. Now I'm going to 
take you into a spot for deliverance and inner healing. And this is a little complicated on a corporate level because I usually meet with people one-on-one -on -one and have to counsel them through lots of things and memories and stuff to try to loosen bonds and things like that. Um, it's hard to do with all of you as me. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a wonderful counselor. And he'll speak to you. He'll counsel you through it. So we are going to listen to him right now. I feel like one of the things that might be a little easier on a corporate level is if you are dealing with an addiction or a compulsion, um, a constant sin that comes up, or something about yourself that you wish was gone, those may be something that's a little easier to focus on corporately. If you don't have any of that, and the problem is actually more like uh, trauma or a memory, something painful. If you don't have the other things, start with, uh, go ahead and go for the trauma. Those sometimes needs a little more healing with, with uh, people guiding you through it, but we're gonna see, we'll see where this goes. First off, Jesus, we feel like you have called us to deal with some deliverance tonight. Maybe it's demonic. We know that demons have been very afraid of this event. We've seen it all week. Maybe it's just our own baggage. Whatever the case is, we all got something. We've been alive long enough to get hurt somewhere. Jesus, what is the baggage in our lives that you want to speak to right now? Would you please tell us? And now listen to the Trinity. What do they want to say? What is the specific thing on their heart? And if you're struggling to hear, you probably know what it is, so bring it to him. Do it the other way around. really left field, the thought that just came to your mind is not what you were expecting, that's a sign that it may not be you. Lean into that harder than you think you should. It might even be the thing that's underneath the thing that you want to deal with. Likewise, if you have a memory pop into your mind right now, that's probably Jesus. So if instead of him like talking straight to you, you might be telling him we gotta deal with this. Go with him. No one can counsel you through that memory better than he can.
words that came up on the screen already. someone it's like saying that they're not worthy of God's grace God has forgiven you you forgive them our prayer team is also wandering to corners right now on both sides of the room if at any point this gets a little too much for you and you need help go to them but I'll keep leading you at the moment
on to that unforgiveness if you want, but it will hurt you. You are not saying what they did is okay. You're just saying that the spiritual or physical weight of their debt is not in your hands anymore. like David and Saul. The Bible says that uh, they were their souls were knitted together. There are good soul ties and there are bad soul ties. If you have any soul tie to any sexual partner outside of your spouse, that needs to be broken. If you have a soul tie, uh, if you've ever gotten caught up in addiction with drugs, um, you need to break soul ties with the people you used to do drugs with. Same with alcohol, uh, same with uh, pornography. If you got caught in that with other people, break those soul ties. The off chance that you've created soul ties while watching pornography to the people on the screen, break those. Breaking soul ties are simple. You're just saying, Jesus, in your name, I break the soul tie between me and this person. Do not break good soul ties, not the people who bring you life, not the people who within your family. Um, if you have really, really, really broken family relationships, before you broke those, before you break those soul ties, probably better talk to me or someone first. Because some of those are crucial. I know what I'm saying does not sound uh, super concrete, but anyone working in deliverance ministry is used to doing this. Soul ties are basically highways between people. And it's how demons often get around within families and relationships that can just kind of move along these if the doors are open. So break those. Break the bad ones.
Jesus will bring the ones to mind that need to be dealt with. Make sure it's him. If you're not sure, don't do it. Look for some extra help. Next thing. When we're dealing with deliverance, we're usually dealing with issues of sin. Some people are dealing with uh, sometimes we fall into demonic uh, oppression because of something someone else did to us. That's where the forgiveness is especially important. But a lot of times, after we have been oppressed by someone else, we build bad habits to deal with it. And those sometimes are open doors where we need deliverance. So sometimes when we're, when we're hurt by others, we still end up sinning because of it, and we need to repent. Other times, we've just straight out sinned, and it was our decision, and we have possibly invited things in because of that. So ask God, based on all these things you're telling me, what do I need to repent of? Jesus, tell me your name. 
You might get something that sounds like gibberish. Great, you're probably on the right track. Some demons just have normal names represented as to what they are. It's like pain, hatred, things like that. But ask the name. And if you get a name, Google it. If you don't know what it is, if you, even if it's like a normal name, Google it and see what uh, the meaning of that name is. Some of you are going to just get something that feels really dumb, like Bob or William. Still look it up. What does the name mean? See if it has any significance as to the kinds of things that God has been leading you through. Does the name match? I do not care how weird it is. Just take it. In other words, you're saying, in the name of Jesus, I will not make any more agreements with you. I will not fulfill the contract of what you represent. I will not continue to do the things that you tell me to do, to live into these themes, etc. If nothing showed up, God's still leading you through healing, so renounce the ways in which you have partnered with whatever that theme is.
Now we're going to tell it to leave. Demon, in the name of Jesus, your rights have been severed. You may not stay in this church. You may not travel any soul ties. You may not touch any of our families or extended families. You will go only and only to the feet of Jesus. Now, in the name of Jesus, get out. didn't seem to be an actual entity but it's just a theme take something representative of that theme and burn it time or the start of this time or whatever it is whatever else you need to work on us with these things that you brought to our hearts throughout this time continue to do it we're now going to enter into some spontaneous worship this is your time to do your thing whatever it is that you need to make right with the spirit however it is you want to worship lie on the floor whatever do it but all around the room you're going to see our prayer team the leaders throughout this week they want to pray for you you didn't get a word on the screen. They still might have a word for you in them. So go to them and let them pray and see what God does tonight. If the band ever gets too loud or you need some more space for anything, we've got these other three rooms that you can move into and use as more sacred space. So uh, prayer team, same goes for you. If they get too loud, we get too loud and you can't hear them, feel free to use those. 